Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Today, I'm going to take you through our business planning format. Our business planning format has been based off years and years and years of research with high-performing realtors all across the world. Now, the primary focus of this business plan is ultimately understanding your numbers. Your numbers are very, very important to understand. It's the clear focus that I had when real estate and some of the best performers that I get to operate with, they always know their numbers. How many listing presentations do they need? How many sales do they need? How much of their business do they want to attribute to listings versus buyers? It's not just simply going about it from the seat of their pants and just going about it with not understanding what the end destination looks like. This here is a structure that you can go through in the planning process. Now, a lot of us just think that the numbers that we need to understand are just how many properties that we want to close in order to make X amount of GCI, what our average sale prices are and everything along those lines. This is a much deeper dive into the business planning approach from a numbers perspective. Not only are we going to be going through what you want to net, we're also going to be going through how what type of listing, listing attribution you want in your business to have the most amount of control. We're also going to talk about present to list ratios. We're going to talk about list to sale ratios. We're going to then dive into all of these different other prospecting activities. We're going to talk about annualization of your GCI, when you might be going on vacation, does seasonality come into, into the format? The other parts of this that are really important as well is that if are you if you are going to do a farm area, whether or not that farm area is feasible for the numbers that you want to produce, how much of your business needs to come from your farm area to be healthy. These are the types of things we've almost overthought this process. But all of this, I want to make this clear. It's around building to build your sphere of influence. If there is one goal in all of this planning, yes, it is to obviously sell as much real estate as we possibly can. Yes, it is to grow your business. Yes, it is to understand your business, even if you don't want to grow and want to maintain balance. It's just about understanding what you need to do in order to hit that balance. But the primary commodity in this planning process today is going to be sphere of influence. The privacy laws are changing, folks, and those that don't have a sphere of influence are going to be the most impacted in this industry. We've already seen it in multiple different countries that we operate in, that the privacy laws literally changed overnight. And I'm talking about 50% of real estate industry has actually gone to zero because they didn't have an established sphere of influence, enough inbound business in order to make sure that they had a repeat and referral business. That is our primary focus here in this business plan is to make sure we are building a sustainable repeat and referral business for the future. And the only way that I know how to do that is through your sphere of influence. So let's dive into it now. So as you can see on your screen at the moment, you've got a template. Now, I want to talk to you about how this works and how I'm going to go about it. I'm going to do my best in order to make sure that I am as comprehensive as possible. But just a little bit of an introduction of how this business plan works. It's mainly the first part of this is all about your gross commission income, okay, or your net commission income before tax, but also what are the numbers that you need after office splits, after franchise fees, if you have them after you know caps or whatever it may be, in order to understand what is the number of sales or what is the gross amount of GCI that you need to do to walk home with a net number. So the functionality of this business plan is that as you'll see, if you hover over any of those, those individual squares, they will pop up and give you a bit of an explanation of what we're looking for from you in that particular area itself. The red obviously marks 
marks the ones that are filled in. The screen is actually locked, so you can't manipulate any of the formulas or anything like that so that it functions. If you are looking for a version of this that is unlocked, if you're really good with Excel or Google Sheets or anything along those lines, because we do have it in both Excel and Google Sheet, then please let us know and we can happily send that over to you or give you the password for it. Now, obviously we go into what the numbers are by way of average sale prices and everything along those lines in this section here, but also it will pop up with an automate graphs and also dashboards. Once we put that in, it'll break down your numbers as well. Now, it'll also give you these types of graphs here as well from an annualized basis once we enter the numbers in so that then you can keep track of what you need to do from a monthly closing perspective or even GCI a perspective from volume. Then we'll dive in with the tabs down the bottom. So this first one is business plan income goal. The next one is prospecting review. You'll see this one here that'll come to life when we start entering all of the numbers in for individual prospecting efforts, including open houses. Then you've got a farm area analysis page. This farm area review page is about the feasibility of individual farm areas to make sure that they are producing. We've got the space here of up to eight farm areas because too often people think that just one farm area is going Going to be enough. This will actually prove theory based on market share, based on turnover, based on all of those different things. And now the other part, keeping track. Now I know that there are so many different products out there that you can use by way of goal setting and that can keep track for you and can pull your numbers from the MLS or you or absolutely automate your numbers. Guys, I never believed in the automization of a business plan because it's not up to you to keep it up to date. This business plan has been designed of the way that I operated my business, but also the way that I know so many others do is manually entering the data so that it's on you for the accuracy of this. For any of us that are OCD, Obviously, it doesn't work unless you enter the data, but you need to enter the data in order to make sure that you are as accurate as possible, but also that you know about it that you know about it indeed. So as you go through and you enter individual parts of data, you can go through and, ed and enter each individual month. So then it can correlate into your business plan on the main dashboard itself, which is the main page here. So let's dive into it. Let's jump into going through the business plan income goal first. So what I'm going to do here in the first field, okay, your personal income goal net. So as you can see here, how much money do you want to make after expenses? but before taxes. So I'm going to put in here $300,000. So $300,000 of GCI, okay? Or that's the money that I want to make after expenses, but before taxes. Now, my average sale price, I'm just going to go with an average of the people that we operate with is around $800,000. Now, again, that might be something that you you have to leave blank until you figure out which one of your farm areas or your total farm areas. For those agents that aren't established, you might have to work out what farm areas you're going to be hitting and then what is the average sale price through those. So this might come a little bit in reverse. However, the next one, what commission percentage? Now, the industry average at the moment across the board is 2.3%. So 2.3 is what I'm going to put in here is the average side of a deal that we're seeing. So then you'll see that it auto-populates of where it needs to be. Now, Office split, we've put in franchise fees here, guys, of 6% is what we see across the board typically from multiple other agencies is around the average. Some are 8%, some are 10%, some are as low as 5 But then also from a capping perspective, the easiest way that we have seen this from an editing, um, uh, from an editing um, perspective is that if you go in and you click this 
to find an average of what maybe your cap is and just an average percentage that is going to be removed off the top. But that is also comes down to office split where you can adjust that as well. So for example, some of the averages that we see, some agents are on a 70-30 split or an 80-20 split or whatever it may be, is that the split that the office takes is what this is asking for. So if you're on a 70-30 split, the number 30 goes in here. Let's go with the industry average about 80-20. So 20% is what um, the office split is. I'll put 20% in. Now the average expense is going to depend on your average sale price. My average expense of a listing will depend on how expensive that property is. So if it's an $800,000 property, you know, I would say roughly about a 10% ratio, uh, sorry, excuse me, 10%, 1% ratio of, um, of what we believe that people are spending on the marketing or the expense of it, but that is still pretty high. So I'm just going to use a round number of $1,000 here. Okay. Um, just because there's so many different variables, you might be an agent that invests heavily in each individual listing in order to build your content, in order to promote further. Remember, we are getting into a in, into a time where content is absolutely king, and using listings to build that content could be a, a could be a really handy format. So, guys, if we go down and look at all the numbers here at the moment, okay, you will see that four hundred and thirty thousand dollars roughly is where we need to be from a gross commission income in order for me to walk home with three hundred thousand dollars, which was my primary front. As you can see up the top here, your gross commission income is up in the dashboard. Number of closings, 23 is what it's calculated just there. Now, we're going to get to listing versus buyer site income. Now, guys, there is no question about this, that listing is the only way that I like to track. Keep in mind, just so that there's a little bit of context, I come from a culture where only way that you can make money in real estate is through listings. So that is all that we've ever known from a listing standpoint. Now, we empower everybody that we meet in order to run listing-orientated businesses, obviously through the auction process, but also just in general, it is the only way that we have seen a level of control in a business. You can't actively predict your buyers and how many people are going to buy and what they're going to do. And in certainly climates like we're seeing with interest rates up, down, sideways, whatever you want to say, is that that creates some uncertainty for buyers and they are less likely to obviously act. So it just creates less of an ability to predict. But one thing I can certainly see when people predict they're going to do this number of listings based on the numbers that we're going to show you is that it's typically hand grenade close to what they can do and is the only controllable in their business is what I see. So the attribution that we've always suggested is that we should see 60% of your business come from a listing side so that therefore you've got the most amount of control. My advice to you guys is that if you do 60% of your businesses listings, the 40% buyer side is just going to come through the activities that you do in a typical format of a listing, whether it be open houses, whether it just be inbound inquiry or inbound people phoning you you're just going to do 40% buy side by default. That is what we have seen all the way. And I know that that's a, a funny thing for me to say, but it's like me saying that if you wanted to lose 10 pounds, if you lose six, the other four will, four will just drop off. It's as simple as that. And that's what I'm saying with your real estate business. If you get 60% of your business to be listing orientated and you can hit that number, I guarantee that the 40% will happen just by the wake that you create from your listing attribution of business. So as you can see here, you've got this, uh, the graph here that um, uh, 100, excuse me, as it pops up. See, it gives you an explanation in a lot of these areas, that little diagram on the right side or that little triangle on the right side of the box will show you that there is an explanation if you need further information. 
However, as you can see here, the listing and buyer side, it breaks it down in a graph, but on a listing side, I need $258,000 worth of commission. And on the other side, I need $172,000 from buyers. So it breaks down the deal count as well from a closing. So about 14 and about nine, um, 14 listings closed and about nine buyers. Now, if we go to the listing KPIs. This is where we look at present to list ratio. A lot of people don't track this, but the present to listing ratio is basically if you get called in for a listing opportunity, is that how many times do you get it? We need to keep track of this. This is a metric that needs to be kept track of because it's like diagnosing a problem. A doctor doesn't simply go, when you go to a doctor, a doctor doesn't simply go start poking you in places and go, does it hurt here? He asks you what's wrong to actually pinpoint the diagno diagno diagnosis. So diagnosing a problem within your business that if you've got a bad present to list ratio, that means you need to upskill your listing presentation perspective. Okay. If you also have an unestablished business where you don't have a very big sphere of influence, which we'll get in here, here shortly, your list, to, list to, your present to list ratio will be less because you don't have established relationships. Very often those that have established relationships in a repeat and referral business don't have to worry about a present to list ratio because they go into the appointment and they basically don't even have to pitch them. They're just already just moving forward with the relationship they already have if they need a real estate need. Okay. So really, if you're a good, it should be over 80%. So I'm going to say that you're a good agent. We're going to go with 80% from a present to list ratio. Now, a list to sale ratio, this will depend on the market that you're in, what your farm areas look like, your price point, all of those different things. So looking through, and we'll go through the farm area analysis here shortly, but this will give you a really good insight. If you have not been doing real estate for all that long, you need to look at the farm areas that you are targeting. Look at the historical list to sale ratio. The other thing that I need to give you a warning on as well, guys, probably don't use the last few years within COVID. I classify the COVID-19 market as March 2020 through to the end of 2021. Post-COVID is 2022 and onwards. So I would not be using the COVID-19 market because that was an unprecedented market. Even the first six months of 2022, I personally believe were overinflated because the last six months certainly were a different story. In most of the real estate companies we work with in most of the areas, 75% of all income was made in the first six months of 2022. So only leaving 25% of income made in the last six months. So where I'm going with that is you need to use some more normalized numbers for markets that were pre-COVID so that then you can get a better handle of us moving into a more normalized market. But a list to sale ratio, let's say I'm just going to use 80% here as well. So then what that does is that with your present to list ratio and your list to sale ratio, it breaks down listing presentations needed. So on the week, I need 0.42. On the month, I need 1.8. Annually, I need 21 or rounded up, let's say 22 listing presentations in order to get me my 14 closing say. But really what it says is that in order to get 17 listings, I need 22 listing presentations. In order to get 14 sales, I need 17 listings because we're not going to sell everything. If you say to me that, well, we sell 99% of our, our inventory, guys, it just means you're not doing enough because no area, even in the past couple of years, sells 100% of everything if you take it from a wide enough angle. So we need to be realistic when it comes to that.
These numbers haven't populated just yet because they are going to populate once we dive into the prospecting review. But what it does do is it does fill our graphs up down the, bo down the bottom here so that then we can have a good understanding of what we need to do. So this is our month monthly targeting. Guys, I personally believe that this section right here, the annualization is one of the most important sections that I can actually say in business planning because it allows us to be realistic that every single month isn't going to be as consistent as the last, but it also allows us to understand seasonality and it also allows us to understand what impact it's going to have when I have a vacation. So say I'm going to take two weeks off or a week off within a certain month, it's the 90 day, 60 to 90 day lag effect. So for example, if I'm going to have some time off in June or the end of May, my July is going to See less of the income. Okay. But maybe you're choosing to work all the way through and you want to make sure that you produce 70% of your income over quarter two and three. Usually in a normalized market, 70% of people's income is made in quarter two and quarter three of the year in North America. So maybe that's something you want to have a look at as well. But then it breaks it down from a monthly GCI target based on your annualizations. Please make sure that these add up to 100 down the bottom. But then it also then gives you quarterly targets that you might need to hit or that you do, and it gives you closing targets. So monthly GCI targets, you've got monthly closing targets as a graph, but then this graph here is the one that I really like. I'm going to quickly fast forward and go to my annual um, actual. So let's say that I'm in January and on the week of the 22nd of January, okay, I go to my GCI amount and I type in that I close 20,000. Okay, now I go back here, you'll see it populate that the blue line tells me that I'm still a little behind from what my January closing target was, okay? So it'll say there 20,000, and if you hover over it, it'll also give you what your GCI target would be as well. Same with all of these other graphs that are interactive with you also, guys. They will do pop-ups and tell you what the goal is if you don't want to go and read it through here. But that's the front page of this, okay? That is our business planning um, income goal. So again, giving you an understanding, $430,000 is what I need in order to clear $300,000 before tax after my expenses and splits, 23, list, uh, 23 closings needed, 21 listing presentations needed, 17 actual listings needed in order to hit my end closing number based on my list to sale ratio and my present to list ratios so that I've put in and based off the fact that I want a 60-40 business, 60% listing orientation, 40% buyer side. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but wanted to ask a quick favor. If you're seeing any value in what we're providing, we'd love it if you could like, follow, or subscribe, whether you're listening on a podcast or watching us on YouTube. One step further is that if you can think of anybody in your community that this episode could help, we'd love it if you could share it to them so we could cast our message further and broaden our audience. Thanks again. So let's move forward now. Well, let's talk about prospecting. This is one topic that I'm going to have to obviously... Um, well, excuse me, I'm going to have to, not obviously, but I'm going to have to apologize. I get quite passionate about this. Sometimes my dialogue can become quite, quite aggressive when it comes to the prospecting element, but I am going to get real with you for a second. This entire dashboard is about your sphere of influence. Now, sure, it is about listing presentations. There's no question about that. It is about building your business. Yes. But the main commodity that we all, commodity that we need to be focused on over the next number of years is building your sphere of influence. Why? 
because those privacy laws are changing. I can't say it enough. You basically cannot move from the country that I come from being Australia. And also I know New Zealand's the same. There's a do not knock register, do not call register. There's a do not, your cell phones are on that now. You've got no soliciting. You can't drop things in letterboxes. They're just, you can't even get information about people and where they live or anything along those lines. Have a look at what Facebook has had to do with that whole a scandal that they had with too much information going to people and leaks. They basically shut down the social media targeting. I believe that that's going to get even further restricted from social media targeting and digital door knocking as well. So we need to get in the game here now. I believe we've got a five-year runway to still be able to captivate as much information about people as we possibly can in the areas that we want to sell real estate because we've already seen this devastate other real estate industries in other countries. Let's get ahead of it now. That's the value of this 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 individual section of our business planning format. So the prospecting review, as you'll see, the numbers are zero here at the moment. This graph will show the diversity here shortly and estimated GCI that will come out of it. There's an explanation there. But the one thing I want to show you as well, guys, is there's a read more information. So all of the theory around your sphere of influence, all of the theory around cold calling, door knocking, micro farming, and open houses are the main categories that we have put here in prospecting review. Now, if there are other categories that you use, then hey, congratulations. But these are the main ones that we see in top performing real estate businesses. Now, there's also video explanations of me going through it as well so that you can watch them. Now, I want to show you and go through each of these sections individually. First of all, obviously, it works the same way. It gives you a little bit of an understanding of all of these all of these numbers. You've got industry averages down the bottom here. I know that's a little small and you might not be able to see it, but we have gone through and collated the industry averages from the thousands of people that we've done business planning within this format to show you what the industry averages are. Now, this is all uh, editable. So that then if your area or your business is different, you can edit it. So for example, your call to contact ratio. So if I make a phone call to somebody on my sphere of influence, how many times do they pick up? Around 50% of the time is what we see as an industry standard. A contact to lead ratio. Now, I want to be clear about the word lead. Lead means a D level classification in your sphere of influence. So in your sphere of influence, there's a different classification. That's what I want to talk about, okay, is the word lead means a lead that goes into your sphere of influence as a D lead. A D lead is somebody that you get to nurture into a C lead. A C lead is somebody that knows who you are and what you do. If I was to phone them and say, hi, uh, do you know who Ben Brady is? Yes, Ben Brady is a real estate person in this area. That That's a C lead. Now, a B lead is somebody that you've gone into their property and you've done a price health check on their property. It doesn't mean they've listed it with you. You've just spoken to them about the price of their home. You might not have even gone into that property, okay? But you've just spoken to them about the price of their home. An A lead is somebody that has done a transaction with you or they have referred you a piece of business. An A plus lead is somebody that's done more than one transaction with you and has referred you more than more than once. So, the classifications of all of that with your sphere of influence is how we're going to build this for the future. Now, in this section, you'll see here, okay, a lead to listing appointment ratio. That is a lead to listing appointment or even a lead to just appointment. They might refer you a buyer. They might say their sister is selling or whatever it may be, okay? But usually we see a 10% return on the contacts that you would then receive. Now, if you go into this, okay, your current sphere of influence, your current database, let's say that I put in 200. Okay. Now, if that is 200, a real 200, I need to give you the breakdown on this for a second as well when it comes to your sphere of influence. 
is that if I've got a true 200 people in my sphere of influence that are a C plus lead, a C plus lead, I don't classify my D leads in my sphere of influence as actually in my sphere of influence at all because C plus are the ones that know who I am and what I do. That is the classification of a sphere lead. Now, if we break it down, how do I know the health of my sphere? If I have 200 on my sphere, anywhere between 10 to 12% return of deals is what I should be getting off my sphere of influence every year if I'm nurturing it correctly. So if I've got 200, I should see between 18 and 20 leads out of that, out of that sphere for the 12-month period itself. Now, that might be them referring me a buyer. That might be them telling me their sister's selling. That might be them individually selling as well and moving to another, another location that I can help them with. But if I haven't done between 18 and 20 deals and I'm saying my database is 20, there's either one, one of two things that are wrong, okay? One, I'm not nurturing it correctly and not reminding them that I'm in real estate. Two, okay, is that I actually don't have 200 people that know who I am and what I do, okay? Then we set a goal, a SOI annual ad goal. I'm going to put in here that I want to add at least 100 people to my sphere of influence. Okay, so my total projected, my, my total annual projected SOI ad, okay, I want to get that in excess of 100 so that then I have a 300 lead ratio. Now, if I go across here, you'll see here what it breaks down for me with those numbers. I'll need to make 2.3, so call it three calls in order to hit 50 a month in order to contact my 200 sphere database once a quarter. I need to be making those calls in order to make those contacts in order to get through to as many as possible, which then will generate me X amount of business based on these ratios. Okay. So now I'm going to move across to some of the prospecting efforts. Now, this here is our cold calling prospecting efforts. Now, our call to contact list um, cold calling is about 10% from an industry standard perspective. You make 100 calls, you're probably only going to get in a hold of 10 of them. Now, this includes expired listings. This even includes calling your farm area and letting them know about a sale, whatever the prospecting efforts that you do. I give examples in the read more tab. If you clicked on it, it takes you through to the cold calling section. Okay, you just click back or you can watch a video to explain it. Okay, but 10% is usually what we see from a call to contact. From a contact to lead ratio. Now, a contact to lead ratio is different in cold calling environment. Lead typically means a D lead in your SOI. Yes, I get it. However, in the cold calling space, just to confuse everybody even more, in the cold calling space, it is not a SOI D lead because those people haven't really even engaged with you. They don't really even want to talk to you about real estate. It's usually a pretty cold lead. So that is simply just a lead for you to follow up on to actually get to engage you. And then after multiple conversations, they may become a D lead in your SOI if you're going to classify that. Now your lead to listing appointment ratio typically sits at about 10%. Now, the one thing I will say when it comes to this that is very difficult to monitor, it usually takes about between seven and 10 contacts to a cold lead for them to engage with you and give you an opportunity to go into their property to talk to them about real estate. It usually takes between seven and 10 contact points. But we've put this from an industry standpoint, 10, 10, 10. So let's say that I want to make 25 cold calls a day, whether it's to my farm area, whether it's to just the expired listings, whether it's to FISBOs, whether it is just to 
I don't know wherever you get your numbers from in order to circle prospect, maybe whatever it is. But that said is that this will break it down and give you your numbers of how many listing appointments that you ultimately will get by monthly basis. Same here as well, based on these conversion numbers. If we look at this, and in all diversity, we're calling our sphere. We're doing some cold prospecting as well. Maybe we might want to do some door knocking instead of cold calling. Now, if you don't want to do cold calling or you don't want to do door knocking, just simply leave one of these fields out, guys. Okay. However, let's go through it. Door knocking, we get a way better cut through from knock to contact ratio. It's about 50% from an industry standard. Now, again, keep in mind that all of these percentages are editable. So if you're doing it and finding it different, edit it so that then you know what you need to do in order to get the appropriate results. Your contact to lead ratio. Now, these leads, this is SOI leads. This is SOI leads. These are leads that you can put as declassification because it's face-to-face -face interaction. Definitely, if you go through and you go to the read more information for when it comes to door knocking, I give a very clear indication of the types of door knocking that you can do with intent and with purpose around actual results in order to get as many people to engage as possible. A good example of that is if a property sold in an individual area and you door knocked around it, knock, knock, knock. Hi there, my name is Ben Brady. I'm in. I'm a. I'm from a real estate company just down the road. I'm just letting you know that 38 Smith Street just closed for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Was a two bedroom, uh, two bathroom, so on and so forth. Now, I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing a few reports for a few other people within the street, and those reports are a comparative market analysis with an idea of what I think your property's worth. That sale may have altered values in the area. So would you like me to just drop one on your doorstep or I can email it to you so that you can get an understanding of what your property might be worth based on that sale? So what happens a lot of the time when you're engaging with a homeowner in that situation, they'll always say yes, okay? When I say always, it's definitely a higher percentage than most. So people that want to continue to engage from the 50% that you knock to contact, 30% of those people will deeper engage than on the phone. Now, your lead to listing appointment, there at the doorstep, it's usually a little bit more of a softer lead, okay? They might want to just send you the report, you send the report. Very rarely do they actually hit you up and go, hey, I really want you to come back. I'm thinking of selling my home, okay? It usually is a multitude of communication to get you there, but we still see about 5% return. So let's say on a monthly basis, I want to make 50 door knocks. Okay. Now 50 is a very light number. Okay. Keep in mind that the numbers should be set based on your percentages of how many listing appointments or how many people you want to add to your SOI. Moving on, this is quite possibly one of the more productive elements when it comes to meeting people that might be future sellers around a particular listing. Micro farming was produced for people that have a very short attention span and might not want to select farm areas because it's too much work or they get too bored or whatever the inclination. Micro farming is a process and it's a 90-day process around an individual listing. Now, if you're new to the industry, maybe in your office or you might be able to prospect around listings from other agents with their permission if they're not going to do so, or you might just go ahead and do it, is that prospecting and informing people of the activities of that listing is called micro farming. So over a 90-day cycle, you're letting somebody know about that process in its entirety in order to engage them about real estate. And I'll give you a few examples here shortly, but typically what we see the listing agent is going to micro farm around 
about 75% of their listings. So they will select maybe around 40 homes that they're going to keep up to date with what's happening with that actual listing. It's an important thing to note that most agents believe that their most important person or important client is the person that is the is the seller of that listing they've got at the moment. Really, that person has already engaged you with the listing. Whilst it is very important to communicate with them and very important to give them what they need, guys, the most important client to you should be your next individual listing. And they come from the people that surround that listing. Most of the time, somebody won't list with that agent that is selling that property. It's usually another realtor because they've automatically made assumptions that are not actually positive about that person because they're not communicating with them about that listing. So we've got to over communicate to the community around that listing or in that immediate area. So Micro farming process is a few simple steps. We map it out in the read more information section and we can provide you with the scripts for this as well so that then you can go through and do this. We found this to be the most effective way by more than 50% to actually increase your sphere of influence with future sellers. Open houses are also very powerful, but it's also buyers as well. But to give you an understanding of what micro farming look like over a 90-day process, once somebody has signed a listing agreement with you or once you know about that listing coming on, it would be simply knocking on the doors or calling around that individual listing, selecting a number of homes, letting them know, hey, a new listing's coming to market shortly. If it's your listing, I'd be doing a neighbors-only open house. We're inviting all of the neighbors to a neighbors-only open house. Come through and have a look. Have you seen the property before? No, I haven't. Hey, we'd love to have you there. And you're a chance to get as much information as possible and meet those people. Now, after that, once the property is up on the marketplace and you've had your first open house, letting everybody know how your first open house went. Just wanted to let you know, Mr. and Mrs. Seller or whoever you're speaking to, that we had 10 groups through the property. A few of them are interested, still leaving between seven and eight people looking to specifically move into this neighborhood. Would you happen to know anybody looking at selling in the near future? Oh, maybe. Uh, I, I'm not sure. We'll think about it. We'll let you know. No problem. I just wanted to let you know. Great result. Looking forward to putting the property into escrow shortly. Now, you might want to do that a few times through the listing process if it's taking you a few weeks to sell the property. At the moment, extended period of time on the marketplace is something we're going to have to get used to, but it gives you more opportunities to check in with them. Now, the one thing I need to make clear if you're micro farming, if you've done a traditional listing and you need to do a price reduction, I would let the surrounding people know that you've adjusted the price. Okay. Some of the language that I use is making sure that you're not blaming the seller for that. And that is very humbling is if you were to knock on the door and make a phone call, Hey there, my name is Ben Brady. I've spoken to someone in the house or I haven't. Okay. Is that just letting you know, 38 Smith Street is a listing just here. I wanted you to know the price has dropped from 550. We've dropped it down to $525,000. Now, it was my fault. I was a bit guilty of trying to get our sellers too much in the beginning, but I'd rather be too guilty, uh, rather be guilty of trying to get them too much than not enough. So we've adjusted the price to make sure it doesn't sit on the market and tarnish the reputation. I just wanted to keep you up to date with what's happening. We should have the property in escrow here shortly right? Informing people so they can't make bad assumptions is certainly something that you should do when it comes to your micro farming and communicating. Now, once the property goes into escrow, letting them know it goes into escrow, but also letting them know that you can't tell them the end sale price. Why don't I pop by or why don't I give you a call or I can shoot you an email if I'm bothering you too much. I can get you contact information, okay? And let you know what it closes for. Typically what happens when there's a new sale in the area, I usually do a comparative market analysis and a price check for everybody in the street to see if it altered the value of their home up or down. 
Would you like me to do that? Okay. Most of the time people say, yes, please update me with what it sold for. Please update me with a report of what you think my home is. It's an opportunity for you to get more contacts, more engagements. These are D leads, even towards C leads that are going into your sphere of influence. Now, I love the micro farming concept. I loved farming. However, I was, you know, a little bit hyperactive in my real estate business. So the micro farming really suited me if I got away from my farm areas as well, but also to break into new areas external to the farm areas I was targeting, doing micro farming really gave me a good insight to what that area might be like. Now, if we were going to go in and film this, okay, I'm going to put in here percentage of listings to micro farm. So the number of listings that I need, keep in mind with these numbers that are here, the annual listings needed are 17.3. So it's going to pull my numbers in from that individual section in the business plan income dashboard. So if I put 75, or excuse me, that's 45, 75%, okay, it'll automatically calculate how many listings I'm going to do it in. Now, I'm not going to do it to all of them because I might have lower price stuff and I might be trying to keep my price point high, whatever it is. Okay. So I'm going to do 75%, which is about 13 listings that I'm going to micro farm. The number of homes that I'm going to select around those listings will be an average of about 40. Okay. I'm going to communicate to about 40 properties. Now, each one of those, I'm going to look if the if it's an actual homeowner that lives there. So I'm not knocking on the doors of tenants or anything along those lines. Now, these are the statistics that we're using. The industry average for micro farming, because you're doing it with purpose, you typically will get more listing presentations than just cold door knocking once off. Okay. Or cold calling just once off. It's about 15% lead to listing appointment from there. Now, remember, contact to lead ratio, we're still at 30%, but lead means a decontact into your sphere. Okay. So all in all, if you have a look at it, it breaks down the numbers on an annual basis, 13 listings times 40 houses gives me 525 calls or door knocks that I'm going to do with a 50% contact ratio. Okay. Then that gives me a 30% contact to lead, then a lead to listing appointment breaks down the numbers just here. Now, going to get to quite possibly one of the most valuable business provoking tasks or prospecting elements that I could say is open houses. Guys, if you are looking to build your business or you've made a decision to grow your business and you're not doing your open houses or you're not doing somebody's open houses, my first thing that I need to say to you is that you're not truly committed. One of the biggest complaints that I've seen from agents leading into a normalized market is that, oh no, I have to do open houses again. I would be saying, oh yes, I can actually build a business now. Okay. Remember, this is our quickest runway to making sure you've got an established sphere of influence so the privacy laws don't hit you the hardest. So there's two classifications here that I have to go through. It is a very long part of this segment because it's the most beneficial. Read more information. I would encourage you to go through the open house portion because it explains the benefit of auction open houses versus traditional open houses. And I'm going to give you a quick overview. Now, I'm going to do 17 odd listings is what I need to do. So what percentage of those are going to be auction? I'm going to say 50% are going to be auction. Now, I'm going to make that commitment because one of the reasons that we do auction, obviously, in order to get a better outcome for the sellers, in order to make sure we can educate our clients better, in order to make sure of so many different things. But the real primary thing, if we're being selfish for the moment, 
moment. For me, it's that's where, where I get the most amount of business. If it's an auction open house versus a traditional open house, I just want to give you that quick comparison. Auction open houses, by law, we are obligated to get everybody's information at the front door. One, the seller requests it. And two, by law, because it is an auction process with an individual date, which it's set to happen, we need to make sure that we can communicate with everybody if the property was to sell prior to auction. So everybody is obligated to give their information. Now, the other thing, we get more unrepresented buyers through. And the other thing is that the local community is so curious about this whole auction thing, you get more people in the community that come through as well. And they have to give their contact details. And to, on top of that, you follow them up because you want to explain auction to them further and you build more rapport with these people because you're explaining a concept they don't know and you are the expert in that field. So all in all, open houses for auctions lead to so, so much more business. So for example, okay, is that the average number of attendees is also much higher. Now, the average number of attendees that we've gone with, these are industry standards for auctions versus traditional. Now, the industry standards, what we have done is even if it was a buyer that came through that had had that does have representation with an agent, just means their agent is not with them. If their agent is not with them, they obviously have to give you their information if it's an auction open house, and it gives you an opportunity to continue the process of communicating with them. Now, you might not get to represent them on a buy side because they have an established relationship. They might be in contract, whatever it is, but that doesn't mean you can't continue to communicate with them because they will eventually end up selling or their relationship with that other agent that didn't turn up to the open house with them might not be so solid. Okay. So your opportunity to bring them into your sphere as a D lead and put them up the ranks. Now we get more people through an auction than what you do a traditional sale. So that's why the average number is 30 here and the average number is 22 here. Now, if you get different, these are editable, you can change that. Now, attendees information collected. 90% of people, we will get the information unless we are wildly busy from an auction. That is what all of our auction agents do. That is one of the primary focuses for them at the open house is to get as much information as possible because one, we need to by law. Two, we need to inform them if there is an offer prior to auction. Three is that we can want to follow them up. Part of the process is the follow-up and the education and the feedback that we can give to our sellers as well. And it just builds unbelievable rapport. So that leads to a contact to lead ratio. When you're following these people up, 25% of the time, they will further engage with you about what their real estate needs are. Because you think about it, how professional is it to make a phone call? Ring, ring, ring. Hi there, my name is Ben Brady. I'm from Harcourt Auctions. I'm calling you about 38 Smith Street that you came through on the weekend. Do you remember that property? Well, yes, I do. Okay, great. Um, I'm just giving you a quick call. Um, that was the auction property. Um, part of my job is to go through and get feedback from buyers like yourself or people that might be in the real estate community to provide to my sellers so they can make an informed and educated decision. Can I ask you what you thought of the property? And you deeply engage at that point. Great. Can I ask why you came through? Well, I'm curious about auction. Great. Well, let me explain more. Okay. You got your average call time with somebody when you're following up is three times the amount, three times the amount when it's an auction, open house, or follow up than what it is traditionally. Now, lead to listing appointment. 10% of the time, it'll lead into a listing appointment. Maybe it might be buyer, but all in all, remember our main commodity here is adding to our sphere of influence. Okay. 
really, really fast tracks that. Traditional, around the same. However, only about 12% of people usually leave details because not many agents ask for it or just leave the registration book there at the front. Okay, contact to lead ratio is pretty minimal because you don't have something more di different to talk to them, but you still are getting about a 10% ratio. So all in all, if I'm doing a 50-50 business, it breaks down the numbers for me here. Now, I'm gonna scroll back up to the top Keep in mind, okay, with all of this from an estimated listing GCI, what it's done is it's broken down the number of listings that I possibly have an opportunity from all of the activities and the ratios, okay? It's broken down my closing numbers based on the listing to close ratio, okay? It's also given me an idea of what my number of listing appointments will be, and it's given me an idea of where my sphere is going to come from from a targeted approach. So all in all, guys, if you have a look at what the, at, at what the annual added projection is, if we were to do all of the tasks that we were going to do and add those leads, all of this automatically populates into this section here, which is your SOI annual add, add um, projections, okay, is that if I do all of those activities that I've said I was going to do in all of these sectors, I'm going to have a sphere of 347 people by the end of it. 347 people. While yes, as I've said, they might a lot of them might be D leads, but having a D lead with people's contact information, knowing where they live and knowing what a possible opportunity is for the future, I'm confident that with a nurturing process, you'll be able to lead them into C, B, A, A plus leads the whole way through and secure your business. If you can turn that 347 or 350 round numbers into 350 people that know who you are and what you do, you that should be returning you between 35 and maybe 38 deals a year. Okay, that is what we're doing. It creates this unbelievable diversity within your business. Now, what I will say is that going through and breaking all of this down, okay, is a task where you might not be doing a farm area or focusing on a particular farm area. Now, you might be doing all of these actions within your farm area and you want to know how it all breaks down. So we move through now to your farm area analysis. Now, obviously a lot of explanation here as well. There will be a graph that pops up on the right-hand side of this screen, but let me take you through this to give you an understanding. Gross commission income. Remember, I need $430,000 of GCI in order to hit my $300,000 take-home. Farm area attribution, a healthy business should have 60% of its total income come from farm area. Now, I know I said before 60% should be listing orientated. Absolutely. And that is going to be replicated here. 60% of your farm area listings, okay, income should come from listings. And another 40% will come from the wake that you create from those listings in your farm area. But a total of 60% of my business in total should come from my farm area. Obviously, another 40% will happen by the people you meet that are external to your farm area, all of that type of stuff. But either way, 60% means you've got an element of control, you've got good market share. So in total, I need $256,000 worth of income to come from my farm areas. Notice over here, these areas are blank. These areas auto-populate when we go and break down individual farm areas. So we can change the name at the top here. I might call it uh, farm area, um, Dover Shores. Now, guys, I live in uh, uh, close to Newport Beach in Eastside Costa Mesa. Um, so that's an area that if I was studying in real estate, I would be prospecting in. Now, total properties, let's call it 2,000 properties in that area. Okay. Now, where you get a lot of this data from 
is you get it from the MLSs, you can get it from Property Radar, you can get it from so many different sources. You can even ask your title reps to provide you with this data so you can do farm area feasibility. The real purpose of all of this that I want to make mention before we go any further is the fact that too often people say, well, I want to make this much money and I want to farm this individual area, but they don't know whether or not feasibly that that can sustain what they're looking to make. So this makes sure that the areas that you select or that you've selected enough areas in order to get produce the income that you need. Remember, I need $256,000 out of my farm areas in order to get that to 60% of my business, which will create that snowball effect that everywhere else will provide me that other 40%. So average sale price of this area, let's call it 1.1 million, which is low but um, for that area, but I will do it anyway. Okay, so 1.1 million, oh, that's 110,000. Excuse me. Okay. Now, um, average farm area listings. So that means, as you can see with the explanation, it pops up and gives you an idea how many listings were on the market in the last 12 months in that marketplace. So out of 2,000, I would expect somewhere around 20. However, this is where I need you to be more focused on the fact that in the COVID market between March 2020 and 2021 and the first half of 2022, they weren't the real volumes. Go back and have a look at this historical data. Compare it to the COVID markets as well, where the inventory was so low, and look at that. However, I'm going to put, just for argument's sake here, 20, okay, use 10% rule. Now, out of those 20 listings in that farm area that came on in total, how many of them sold? It's pretty high. 18. Let's go with 18. So it gives me a 90% list to sale ratio. Okay. Agent market share. Now this is something here that I want to be very clear on team. Okay. Your agent market share. We want to make sure that you don't have delusions of grandeur. If you're only just starting off and you're going to say that I'm going to have a 15% market share instantaneously, that's not going to happen. Now, usually what we see is that anybody with 2,000 listings, it's probably easier to have a 15% market share over a shorter period of time. But if you're doing three or 4,000 listings or three or 4,000 properties, it's very difficult to have that larger market share in that larger market. So we've got to be real about this. I would say that we don't want to be any further than 10% within an individual marketplace if it's turning over. Okay, but just be realistic about what your other competitors have. Okay, who might be the dominant agent in that area? Have a look at what their market share is and don't make it any higher than that goal. Maybe in your first year, maybe you're the dominant agent. You might want to increase that a little bit because in a tougher marketplace, you can increase market share easier. Now, average expense per listing, because my average, um, my average sale price is 1.1, I'm going to go with about $1,100 okay, um, as my expense per listing. So now it's broken down all of the numbers, okay? It's broken down total listing expenses, average commission, franchise fees, office splits, everything from what you put in at the front in that business plan income tab. Now it says here that it's giving me 21% of my total number. So let me show you guys here, okay? Is my total number is $258,000 that I need, okay? I'm still outstanding $109,000. And that shows us here because my farm area is only going to produce me $45,000 of GCI if I have a 10% market share, which is about two listings out of that farm area a year. So this is all listing focused, guys. It's not buyer attribution. It is listing focused. Okay. So leading into this is that I need another farm area to get to my numbers. So farm area two can be uh, east side. 
okay? Now, in this farm area, there are a lot of properties. Let's call it 4,000, okay? My average sale price, a little lower. We'll call it a million, okay? My average farm area listing, okay? Number of listings. So here, let's say there are, okay, maybe 55 listings in that area a year, okay? Now, go from there. Okay. Is it all, oh, sorry. No, it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be more like something along the lines of uh, maybe a little bit higher in a higher populated market, but let's just go with 55 anyway, because the markets over the last few years have been tight, all that stuff. How many of those listings have closed? Let's say 50. Okay. So it has a 91% list to sale ratio. The market share that I'm looking for there, let's go with 11%. Okay. Because I see an opportunity that's a little bit better. My average expense on this listing will say $1,000. Okay. So then it goes through and says 58% of my, my listings can come from that area if I hit that. So with simply 6,000 properties in a farm area, I've already exceeded my $258,000 income perspective from those farm areas by $17,000. So as you can see here, guys, it presents the opportunities all the way down. It breaks it all down for you based on average sale prices and everything. Also, what it does is present you an opportunity as well that if you wanted to prospect your farm area and just do it here, your call to contact ratio, your contact to lead ratio, your lead to listing appointment ratio, if you were just simply calling and door knocking your farm area, you can use those statistics here if you'd like, which then pull over over here and show you what your farm area will be doing. Don't double up the numbers, guys. Just keep your uh, your farm area statistics or just do it here and break down the individual exercise so that then you know what your numbers might need to be based on your farm area. So going back, we now know that the farm areas that I have selected, the farm areas that I've selected, these ones here are going to sustain my business for what I need to achieve. I've got to be honest, only 6,000 properties in a farm area in order to get there. These numbers in these areas, these average sale prices are way, way lower than what they actually are in those markets. So it actually paints a pretty clear picture. So now we go through, I want to go back down here. Okay. And this is the tracking section, guys. This tracking section, like I showed you before, is where you will track your actual. So as we go through, this is where I'll track my, uh, my actuals. So what it's done is it's pulled from all of my prospecting activity in all of these sections here, how many calls I need to make, everything. It's pulled it into weekly actual numbers that I need to hit. So this is where I would go in and track it. This is called the self audit. Okay. It's your personal audit on your business at the end of each week. So in the annual actuals tab is where I will keep track of things. Now, as I said, there are so many systems out there that are far more sophisticated than this that will automatically do it. I love the basic element of putting it in. So let's say, okay, I made 25 phone calls this week. I I got contact. I got um, 12 of those. The leads I got out of it, leads into my SOI, I got five. My listing presentation, I actually got a listing presentation, new listings, I didn't get any and I didn't close anything, okay? So now here on the 15th, I might've done uh, 50 as I got more into it. My contact ratio was 30. My leads that I got were 20, okay? Listings, I didn't get one. Um, I've put my new listing on the marketplace because I got that listing appointment and I closed the property as well, okay? So all in all, where I'm going here, guys, keeping track of that. And, uh, and if I fill it all out, it shows me 
Where is my variance? So this is my monthly targets, 592 phone calls, if I'm making phone calls or knocks or whatever it is, okay? Calls or knocks, guys, is what that would be classified as. How many contacts I'm getting from a contact to a, a, a call slash knock to contact ratio, leads, so, I'm, so that's my target as well. Okay, listing presentations, new listings, everything along those lines. These are my weekly targets that I need to hit. These are my actual totals so far. So it gives you down here, I'm 500 calls behind or knocks behind. I'm 13 contacts up for the month. I'm 23 on my SOI up for the month so far. I'm down in my closings that I need because I need 1.83. I'm down in my new listings because I've only got one. Okay, because it rounds it up. I'm down in my GCI. I'm down in my total closings as well. So it gives you all of that. Now, this is also a dashboard as well that can project. So let's say that I've done a listing at one, uh, sorry, at one, two, three Smith Street. I always like to do projected commission possibility. Okay, so lead source, I might go SOI. Okay, expected sale price is 1 million. Okay, and the commission, I'm going to say 2.5. So what it does here is it calculates my total projected GCI if I was to actually get that as a listing. Okay, so I always like to look at my funnels of how many listing presentations I was doing. Now, again, I might not get all of them, but what is my projected GCI for the following month or the month after if I was to get these listings, if I didn't sign them on the spot in a listing presentation? It's very helpful to understand what your future months will look like. Okay, what your future months will look like. You might want to put buyers in here as well if you wanted to, guys, but I'm trying to encourage everybody simply to keep a focus on the listing orientation of the business. And the reason I want people to keep a listing orientation of the business is because buyer side is ultimately under threat. The US and North America are really the only countries left over that are doing buyer side commissions to the extent that, uh, that, that they are at the moment. And in the NAR danger report that they published is that they say that the biggest threat to the real estate industry is buyer side going away. So listing orientation is the way to do that. And also making sure that we keep a focus on building that SOI because of the privacy laws changing. So this provides you hopefully with a good overview of our business planning format. I know it's a lot of information. We would be happy at Harcourt's Auctions to take anybody through this in a live session. Okay, make sure that you keep this, make sure you watch it. Go through and look at all of your numbers from a numbers orientation. Go through and look at your annualization. Look at what the prospecting efforts can yield you to build a diverse range of business and what you can ultimately achieve. This is really incorporating a diverse listing stream of things, incorporating auction into your business to be talking to most as many people as you possibly can, making sure your farm areas can sustain your business and then tracking that the whole way through to make sure that you are on track. It is a manual process, but that said, guys, is that this process is designed around building a listing-orientated business, but also building that sphere for a repeat and referral business for the future. Let's face it, we all want the easiest business possible. And if we were being totally honest with the person that we look at in the mirror, sometimes we'd probably ask ourselves, why doesn't my phone just ring and people give me listings or tell me they want to buy something now? Guys, this is what you need to produce in order to get you one step closer to that happening. Again, how many deals do you want to do? I want to do 30. 30 deals is what I want to do every year. Great. Get your sphere to between 300 and 350 of people that know who you are and what you do. The C plus leads. And I guarantee you that that will happen. That is all you need to do. And this will allow you to track 
your performance to that. Thanks so much. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us, and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.